0: It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Steve Wolfe, one of my favourite people in the racing game, to the 1-1. Uh, welcome aboard, Steve. Uh, thanks, boys. Yeah, it's a pleasure to come on. Big day coming up on Saturday with Export Man, the, uh, the West Australia's best two-year-old. He's aiming to become the first juvenile to clean sweep the Magic Moons Classic, the Caracata Plate and the Sires Produce Stakes. How's confidence levels ahead of the $200,000 Sires this weekend, Steve?
1: Well, you can never be overconfident in these races, BJ, as you know. Uh, look, your horse is equally as good as he's been all the way through. He's one of those rare animals that you come across from time to time. Uh, and truthfully, you wouldn't know whether he's had his first start or his tenth start the way the boy is. He just, is he just a complete professional racehorse and it's a pleasure to have something like him.
2: Now, Steve, uh, Terry here. I'm, uh, I'm not sure if you're uh, much of a punter yourself, but I know you had a bit of confidence going into the Caracatta and you thought you had the best horse in the race, north of $20 lay. Tell me you had something on, Steve.
1: Yeah, I did, but I can assure you I'm not much of a punter. Otherwise, I've been retired a long time ago. <laughs> uh, Terry, I've had a few massive attempts at some humorous plunges over a long period of time, but I've never come unst- uh, they've come unstuck. But, no, look, I had. A reasonable man, I did that, yeah. Like, $500 is a big bet for me, and I had a couple hundred each way on him. Um, my brother had a, quite a substantial bet, uh, which was, uh, but he's a, he's probably got less money than me and punts uh, heavier, but good luck to him. <laughs> uh, he's got more ideas, so he was happy, and a lot of them were, but he got the blows. Like, some people backed him at $5, I think, earlier, and, and they were shocked when he got out so much. And at the end of the day, the fix was 90 and I think. Uh, one of our learned friends, very close, has got twenty six dollars. So I've been waiting for that bit of a check in the mail, but I haven't spotted it yet.
0: <laughs> now he's he, he's always sort of been a horse who, uh, well, every time he goes to the races, he improves, Export Man. But he's sort of almost been pencilled in as more of a size produce horse all along, and mainly because of his racing pattern and, and by the way that he can sometimes. Uh, you know, be a bit slower way. Um, Gate one certainly helped. Um, ended up helping in the in the Caricata plate get on the back of Lewar and Pat's got Sass and got the nice run through. Uh, he to me, he seems like one of the only horses in the sides on Saturday that's really going to relish the rise to 1400 metres. Is going to be a a better horse. Was the 14 in your opinion always going to be a better bet for export man?
1: Well, you would think so, B.J. and Terry and, and listeners. But the one thing we all never know is the like. A lot of times you see these horses that flood from the back and you think, oh, gee, once this gets over 1,600 2,000 metres. But that's not always the case. But look, this horse, as I said, I've had some very handy horses in my time, but I've never had a horse like this one that he's just come through. He's never shown signs of shin soreness. He's never shown signs of tiredness. And he's just come through every run just so comfortably. It's just quite unusual for a two-year-old to be so laid back and have be able to tick all the boxes, he's still got another day to go, but he went down to the beach this morning and had a got strong, strong can <clears throat> excuse me and came back as though nothing had happened. You'd reckon he was getting ready for his first run, you know? It's just quite amazing how what sort of an animal he is.
2: Now, Steve, I heard uh, post race. I found it a very interesting uh, interview with yourself. Obviously, uh, very flattening for Sean McGruddy, uh and I'm sure the whole camp for um, for Sean to uh, cop an injury so close to the uh, the big dance. But um, you mentioned uh, you're a very uh, you're a grumpy man, which we all know. Uh, but you're also a very loyal man, and you said you probably would have thrown the ride to um, your stable ex-apprentice now, Natasha, faithful. Ah, uh, but she had a book of rides at Dongra. Is that is that? uh are you telling porcupines, or was Tash gonna get the ride?
1: No, uh, now I I'm t was telling the truth, but it might have been and might have been in all due respect to everybody. Uh I don't think it would have matter if I've got Damien Oliver or Glenn Boss or who, no one could have rode the horse better than uh, Jagsy did on the day and uh when we were sort of grasping at straws a bit, I thought, Well, you know, she's always has been there for me when I needed her and so ninety percent of the time they ride in the trail or do that and well, I thought it would have been great to reward her with a big big race opportunity, you know, but that didn't happen and perhaps it was a blessing in disguise in, in all sincerity, but she was offered the well, I did ring her up and offer her the ride.
2: Oh, it's an extremely nice gesture. I think she um don't quote me this, I think she took out the she won the cup. The donger, a cup anyway, yeah. so a little bit of a, a bit of a consolation prize. Uh might not be a caricatto, but look, it's it's a cup nonetheless. Yeah, well, she uh, you know, she does a lot of riding for Simon
1: Miller now because she, she prefers Albany, but they don't like the life in Albany. Everything's a bit slow for the kids down here. <laughs> uh, and it's a bit sad, really, because it's the best place in, the, in Western Australia to train horses this time of the year. There's no too much about that. Like, it hasn't stopped raining here. It's been drizzling and then it pines up and, and it's drizzling quite heavy again now, you know, so uh, we're going to be on a, a boggy track today. But it's just a pity we couldn't get a, a few more staff involved in the industry and I think that uh, article that McKent wrote during the week was excellent and needs to be uh, adhered to by some of our powers ahead of us. No?
2: What is uh, what is actually happening down in Albany at the moment? Because um, whenever uh, Roy or yourself bring uh, a team to town, they seem to be extremely dominant. You've probably uh, taken over from Mr Peter Fernie as the, the best travelling country. Not that you travel, you've obviously got the uh, Ascot base as well. Um, sort of. Um, what's uh, what's what's happening down south? Why uh, why are so many uh, horses that are settling in that region are having so much success in the city uh, in the last few months? Something
1: uh, in the water? Well, uh, no, mate. I think like I've been doing it for over thirty years, and before my time, Jerry Van Eyck was pretty successful. Donny Morton was pretty successful, uh, and then we had a bit of a. Well, we still got a bit of a flat spot till Roy arrived where unfortunately most of our local trainers, whether they like it or not, they're not replacing their horses. And, they, and so there's a dearth of horses. And Peter Fernie was virtually, he's just come on in the last sort of six or seven years, I suppose, traveling to Perth. Uh, but, you know, normally he just had cavalry horses, but now he's upgraded. And I, I think it's just the quality of the horse that people are buying. You know, like Roy's got some handy horses and, and he's getting a lot of them. Now, if you go back through his stuff, a lot of those horses that he's got are five and six year olds from other stables that we don't seem to latch onto too many of them, but uh, that doesn't really matter. We've sort of got a pretty big client base. Uh, and they bring them down here and change the scenery and that improves them. There's no magic to that. It's just the environment, I'm sure, you know. And uh, of course, as we all know, Ascot's getting very, very tired as a training complex in this day and age. So there's major problems there.
0: The horses seem to really thrive down down your, your neck of the woods, especially with the um, I suppose recovery from run, Steve. So whether it's swimming, beach work, uh, bush work, they've you've got all the uh, all the different avenues to regenerate horses to to get their mind uh, refreshed and their body refreshed, and um, I think it shows too with a lot of horses you're able to hold them together for. For long preps and, and target races and and make it there, um, and, um, and and I guess you've had to, it's had to be that way in the past when you've had a majority of Albany Mount Barker horses because you've wanted them to race throughout the season and um, and you know you've earned a lot of your money there. But um, in recent years you've you've pivoted as you mentioned about the better better quality of horses and uh, the you know you've you've been very active at the yearling sales and have. Um, Selected really well and as a result, you've had horses like Lord Help Me Run as um, champ, you know, one of the leading two-year-olds, one of size, Produce Stakes. Red Can Man obviously was, is a star in his own right and we'll touch on him and what the future holds with him on the East Coast. Um, then obviously last year, Watch Me Dance. She was a champion two-year-old, won a, uh, won a size produce as well, and then went on to to bigger and better things as as the um, the star three-year-old of the uh, of the spring carnival. And now this year, Export Man and and the success that's come with him. So, I mean, I know in the past you've had good two-year-olds like uh, um, uh, Wolf Dreams and of course Tricologist and and horses of that ilk. But it seems to be now there's been a change in either the the horses that you're targeting at the yielding sales or just, just or has it just been luck, do you think, that you've latched onto some, some really, really quality thoroughbreds?
1: Uh the luck plays you know. As they say, you know, it's very true and now the luck's worth a ton of good judgment. But we have you know sort of put a bit more emphasis to what we're buying, we're probably up the ante and and uh sort of marginally, but you know uh I think the thing that has altered a bit in Perth that I see is it still, as it may seem, probably most of the time there's only eight or ten big players left here now, and you know you can't outbid Neville. We know that, and if Simon or his clients want to get onto one of them dear ones, you can't buy them. But the middle of the road lugs, like, you can generally like the Harrows and myself, and that we can still. You know, uh, Bob doesn't buy many horses, so that puts Grant and uh, Adam buys a few, obviously. But there's not the Nucleus of big trainers buying horses that there was thirty years ago or twenty years ago. So you can once Neville thrilled the book uh, because he's got some blokes there with a lot of money, and they if they want one they buy it. Good luck to them, you know. But uh, I mean, and that's what happened last year with Export Man. I bid on probably five or six playing gods before he arrived, and uh, Neville had bought the bloody lot of them. So. If I'd have got two of those others I I may not have got him, you know, and uh, and probably one of the lucky things that did happen is we were losing better on Red Can Man's half sister. I think from memory we went to two hundred and thirty thousand It brought two forty, but but John or born blake or whatever his name is, he's got that. I don't think it's race yet, child, I think. And once I had a jump out but we were probably lucky that we didn't get that and we got this bloke. But but as I said, if I'd have bought two playing guys earlier I probably wouldn't have bought this little Horse, you know, because I bought the next two that are there. I bought this one and the one behind him. I was called straight and narrow uh, because never was full. And so the opportunity is there. They're probably a bit easier to buy a reasonable horse. And if you're paying thirty to fifty thousand for one or sixty, the way to stake money is in WA across the board. Is this good? It's just that the bottom end is not good enough and uh, the top end is not wide enough. You know, like as I've said before, and everyone knows, you've only got a few weeks when you got to target them good races, and if you miss them because the horse has got a virus or a stone bruise or something, uh, you're out of business, and that's the only problem we've got really in WA with our racing.
0: So, Steve, you're, you know, I won't give you age away completely, but you're into into your 70s. You've had a career best. B.J.
2: was telling me <laughs> before, not, you're not far away from getting a card from the Queen.
0: <laughs> not that, yeah. not that, that far, but you're into your 70s. You won a... Um, you've won two of the races that you've really wanted to win this season you won a champion for these the WA guineas which is a race we've uh targeted significantly recent in recent years got that you won the Karakata, which had been uh, you've been placed in two or three times in the past what is how, how can you wrap your head around the fact that you've you've never trained better th- this this deep into your i guess your your career but also um i think some of the, one thing that People don't necessarily know about you is that you took up training at a very late age and you're pretty much self-taught as well. Can you just give the listeners a bit of a bit of a background into how you became a trainer after being a, a, like a shearer, um, a, a very successful shearer for so long, and and how like you know this is you're not an overnight success. This has been quite a quite a um, a long time in the making for you.
1: Yeah, it has, been. Though. Yeah, well, I didn't went on a course until after I was 21. Uh, and did a bit of punting after that, and I was heavily involved in the love of football and cricket, not at the top level, but at you know good bush level, and enjoyed that so much. And then you know we we followed a few horses, and my, then my first wife, uh, she was uh, her father was a trainer, and I'd sort of got into the into the fray of it, probably at the age of twenty five or something. To make myself bought a horse off of Mick Shea, uh, who was one of the best trainers going around, an old horse called endless magic, and uh, we didn't have much idea, either of us. Uh, as usual, I was the spokes- spokesperson, supposedly the brains, and he had the trainer's license. Uh, but uh, we didn't have much luck with that caper, and we up have given the horse to old Bomber Hanson, a great old mate of mine who I've run into through racing down here. And then uh, Bomber ran a couple of places with him, and then uh, I probably should have been driven out of the game because I went to Calani, things were getting pretty tight at Franklin where Dad had a farm I went to and quarter and went share farming and I and I can't exactly unfortunately I didn't ever keep I uh, never kept the diary, but I made a fair bit of money in one season and I thought, Jesus, how is this? Like I made probably the equivalent of five years wages. So I set up a bloke called Gary Mann, uh, God bless his soul he's no longer with us, with about eleven horses and we mate Normie Franks in in uh, Albany. Uh, Sean McGrady, his Sr. came down as an apprentice jockey with Gary. Uh, so 11 horses, a trainer, an apprentice jockey, a guy poking around, riding a bit of track, work, numerous others. But unfortunately, there was only one mug with any money and that's the bloke talking to you. Mm-hmm. So by the end of that, well, I reckon there was probably about four meetings to go in Albany. Uh, we hadn't won a race. The money that I'd made, which was, was quite substantial, had all gone. Uh, and I thought it was time that Gary went, and a few others went, and uh, the horses went. So, so we dispersed the horses and such here and there. And uh, the best horse, I think, it was a horse by Royal Coral. I can't think was his name. Sean's dad finished up with that, uh, and leased And some one of the blokes in Bunbury trained that. I headed for the high country, went to Pingerup uh, for the races with my first wife, and uh, well went there borrowing her there more than anything and with her dad and we took a couple of horses and then I never left. I started working for one of our great old friends who just passed on Dixie Solly in the shearing shed, rouse about and driving a tractor and consequently I was there for probably 25 or 30 years <clears throat> and then my, after a couple of years of talking to the boys I was playing footy and cricket with we decided to buy another horse which we, we had a couple of slow ones and then a bloke called Johnny Trengrove was over here and he was a very good trainer too from Adelaide. Uh, and he went to the Adelaide sales and bought me a little horse, or me and my mates, a little horse called Belle Bain. Your dad actually won on her, uh, Burn, and uh, she was a high class filly. And from there we got a bit bigger and a bit bigger and finished up with seven or eight pretty handy horses. Then I started buying them from the east and uh, then Julie, my wife, who had the trainer's license then. And you know, when it got a bit big, she said, this is getting too hard for me, you better get your license. So uh, so I applied for my own license, and I'd virtually only work with those blokes that I've talked about, a bit to do with Eric Hansen, my mate Normie Franks, Kevin Smith, my ex-father-in-law, and uh, I was very good friends with a bloke called Phil Columbrera, who was a very good jockey, and he, he went missing, unfortunately, and he was working with some good trainers. Uh, poked around with him a bit, and uh, he taught me a little bit, but... Basically, it's like anything. It's common sense. And, you know, if you want to be a good footballer, you've got to work hard and escape is the same, you know. And uh, we marched on through a few hard times. Went there. When I split up with Julie, unfortunately, I said, well, now that was why I'd, I didn't take up training as early as I could have uh, because I thought, well, i would never want to go back here. And once I hang up the Sheeran and Peace, that'll be it. So I basically, when she left, which probably was my fault that she left, uh, I went to Calgary and said, "Well, now I'm a full-time horse trainer." And from there on, that was 30 plus years ago. It was 35 years ago. I've uh, boxed on and had some good times and some bad times, and I hope all the bad times are behind me.
0: But but horse horse training in itself is it is there a mystery tour? Is it just trial and error and just continually just waking up and 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 just learning learning on the job? Like if you don't do an, an apprenticeship, it, it's it just seems like I don't think I could just walk in and pick pick things up. You, you know, like what's the what's the what's the trick to it, Steve? Like how how have you well, um, how have you been so able just to keep just keep improving, improving, improving well, with I age?
1: Think i was a pretty reasonable sportsman, and uh, you know, and, and the the system's basically the same. You know, it's a no matter how hard you want to work, how quick you want to do everything, uh, and you know, as I said, whilst I wasn't a superstar, I was probably you know, better than average country cricketer and an average country footballer and. You know, that if you didn't work that hard, you weren't that successful. And training horses is the same. You know, you feed them right, you work them right, work them all the time, look after them. You can brush them and polish them as much as you like. But feeding the work's the biggest trick. Uh, and probably it's another thing that, you know, you see so many people, and I've seen it for a long time when someone, they'll take a horse to the races and it's marginally underdone, so the jock will get off and says, this is underdone. So they'll go home and give it two hard gallops, and the next week they go to the races, and it's worse off than it was, because they haven't got the ability to say, "Well, that run will bring that horse forward two or three lengths uh, on its own," you know. And we've been fortunate here because the training facilities are pretty reasonable, and you know, and we just sort of roll them through and and let the horses do the talking and let them. Yeah, you know, they get better on their runs. And, you know, and the, you know, the old system used to be never back one of mine until after Christmas, but <laughs> after 40 years, I'm still trying to have a bet in November and December. <laughs> and so, uh, but no, look, there's there's no secret to it. You now I would have loved to have worked with Bart Cummings or Colin Hayes or one of those fellas, you know, some wonderful trains that, you know, there's so many of them that were, we haven't got any, you know, there's a few of them left, but. People that had the ability that were proper horsemen and I don't consider myself a proper horseman because I've never ridden a horse really. Uh, and firstly, it's just the, you go know, the hand eye coordination and and if you could have worked with someone like Bart or Tommy or, or Colin Hayes or, you know, Chris Waller's a genius, you know, uh, you no doubt you could have picked up a few more tricks, you know. But the, the things that are missing in the game now are them old fellows that were every stable had an old knockabout whether he was a drunk or whatever that would feed them and do the legs and you know and do the little things that don't happen anymore in most stables unfortunately uh, and that's uh, so there's no real magic to it I'm sure.
0: So you've been leading the charge in the Great Southern, Albany, and Mount Barker for the best part of three decades now. You've uh, you've come to you've you know you managed to come to town win some really big races, I'm sure there's races like the railway stakes that are still on the agenda that you'd really like to to tackle. But um, I know there's an itch to scratch when it comes to traveling horses to the East Coast. There was a story in the West uh, not that long ago about a potential uh, Brisbane campaign. What, uh, what are your thoughts on traveling horses East and um, is that something that is on the radar for 2021?
1: Uh, it's still well up there, BJ. but, uh, yeah, we've got uh, Red Can Man marching on now. We were sort of waiting for the COVID to clear. Look, I, as you know, I did send Mr. Utopia over to Melbourne to Robert Smurton, but I, you know, and I had him ready to win when he went there. Uh, and I probably should have gone then because he was a, a really good horse. And, uh, you know, I'd like to win. You'd, everyone would probably like to win a race in Melbourne, whether you're a jockey or, or a trainer, you know. Uh, I've always said, for 40 years, you know, and I used to go to Melbourne every year. If I had one ambition, it would be to take a horse to Melbourne over the carnival, probably not quite so the same now, but 30 years ago, you, if you took a horse to the carnival, you know, over that four days, you could ring up all your mates if you fancied it and say, come here, bring as much money as you've got and you can get what you like on because there must have been 200 bookmakers on course and like, and they wouldn't know where you are coming from and it would have been a great lot of fun. You know, they have a track on them. Uh, back in those days, but now there's probably nowhere near, obviously nowhere near that amount of book is there. But so if it happens, it happens. But you know, I've had a you know, had a charmed life out of the industry, and you know, there's been a lot of downs. But there is in all walks of life, and you know, sometimes you think, oh, why are they picking on me? But most when you talk to most people, they've had a lot of ups and downs in their lives. You know, uh, so if we don't get over there and do the job ourselves, the horses will, and uh, and probably. If I could win a railway, it would be great, and probably a Kalgoorlie Cup, and uh, who knows, Kalgoorlie Cup might come up this year, and the railway might come up this year as well.
0: You mentioned Sean McGruddy, senior, uh, from your early days in uh, in learning the training caper. You always get quite emotional post race when you win a big race. If if you know if Sean's involved, and and of course, um, yeah, everyone as Terry said in, earlier in the in the chat that everyone was uh, was shattered for Sean that he missed the. Karakata uh, Plate winning mount on on export, ma'am. What's the relationship like with with Sean McGrady and um and that loyalty factor which Terry Terry mentioned too? Like Sean and yourself have been a team for quite a number of years now and quite a successful one. So, how special is that to have that? And um, what was it like when when you weren't able to share that Karakata Plate victory with you with with Sean?
1: Yeah, well, that's disappointing because it's we've been close without winning. Uh, I mean, thank heavens he's won a couple. I mean, and, uh, you know, you see this time last year, the loyalty that was there when I had to take Boy Hill off that horse, I didn't have to, much to the disgust of the girls that were in uh, uh, West dance. but, you know, I think if you've got a number one rider and he's uh, as loyal as he can be to you, uh, you've got to be loyal back and I think in life you've got to be loyal to people because uh, it's a very fickle world now and it's easy to criticise people when they do something wrong but, you know, I used to say to my boys, do 10 good things and no one will take anything any notice, do one bad thing in the bloody world, we want to tell everybody about it. Uh, and uh, Sean's been there for a long time, and hopefully, he'll be there for a little while longer. Uh, who's going to replace him? Who knows? Because Nucky's actually older than Sean. He's actually our number <laughs> two rider. Uh, young Brodie Kirby's had an injury, and I don't know whether he's got the. uh fortitude to to handle the job of of uh, riding for a big stable and keeping the pressure up all the time. You know, he's a very good rider, and he's been off the scene for nearly a year, and sadly, because. You know, he could have easily fit it into the into the fray of our setup, but there's not a lot of them around presently. Yeah. No?
0: Now, Steve also Export Man you, uh, is uh, is owned by a crew of Albany, I guess, personalities, including your brother Brett Weevil, and um, who yeah. who uh, helps out, who plays a major part in SJ Wolf Racing. Um, so. I think people are fascinated by, or very intrigued by, the connection with, uh, of course, Export Man, but also th- these guys are the the guys behind Red Can Man as well. Like, um, pretty incredible stuff that uh, that the these um, knockabouts from Albany are able to to find two absolute stars um, in, in in recent years. And and uh, I guess what a what a fun time it must be in Albany to to have the success with these these local guys.
1: Yeah, it's been wonderful for them, Bj, for the boys and their, and their wives and families, and uh, it's created uh, I just, just quite quickly from there. It's like to watch me dance, people. It creates a monster in the racing industry. Whereas all of a sudden, those blokes have <clears throat> bought one horse, open and win a couple of races in Albany. Uh, they've won probably eight or nine in town and seven hundred thousand. They've got the next horse, who's won a Carrickater and, and a Magic Millions and five hundred. Uh, this year, they've lined up and bought two. Uh, a couple of them are bailed out because of you know just well we've got enough here and there and but you know it just creates more and more and uh, and they've had a wonderful ride and I don't think that you know any one of them would be disappointed they're just so ecstatic about the whole game and they can't believe it you know a bloke called uh, Laurie uh, Benson who was he first of all he had a choice of Lord help me run and what about Moses uh, and he elected to buy what about Moses. Of course, Lord helped me run earn uh, six hundred thousand. And Moses has just come good as a five-year-old. So, uh, but Laurie has now got into these two, So he, he's he's luck to change as well.
2: Yeah, it's uh, a yeah, it's an easy game for uh, for those uh, for those lads. Very envious of anyone that can get into uh, a horse to uh, to go down those paths. Before we let you go, Steve, something that's uh, been playing on our mind since you said it. Is you said, you were a handy cricketer. Back in the day, what was your discipline? Were you a batsman, a bowler? Did you keep wicket? Where, where would I have found you in the 11?
1: It found me uh, attempting to bowl fast, which was good medium pace, I suppose. Never found me very far outside of first slip. <laughs> uh, young or old, uh, preferred to the field there. Had a very good eye, uh, not very correct. To make a lot of runs, I could open or normally open back in the first four or five, but uh, I had no fear of fast bowlers and uh, less fear of spinners, and that was generally my downfall because (laughs) uh, I'd want to put them out in the park every time I'd seen one come off and half the time I'd get out. But no, look, I made a lot of runs. I only ever made 100, and that was down here at a carnival, and that was a a wonderful story. Played a couple of losing grand finals. Never played a grand final, winning grand final, either football or cricket. But no, I was... uh, yeah, no, I was a handy batter, we're saying, and, a, and a better than handy slipsfield. Never had much of a throwing arm on me. Uh, and yeah, I didn't know, well, I was a left-hand bowler, right-hand batsman, and so, so it went on. That was probably why I was such a rough shearer because I used to shear right and not left hand. I was a natural left left footer playing football. and uh, uh, So, you know, we cricket was as probably cut up on me football. I probably reckon I could have played first grade. I made a lot of runs at... Country Week, and uh, but very not that well, not that technically correct, but had a very very good eye and a reasonable amount of confidence.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can I can tell that Country Week as well from my understanding of it was really a uh, a battle on the body. There was a um, a few cricket matches around, a few drinking sessions. Was that was that the case back then?
1: Uh, it was worse than that, Terry. Back <laughs> in, in the day, in my heyday, we'd have a four day carnival down here over the long weekend in January, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, I think, from memory, we got one day to get to Perth to the the country week. Then I think we'd play three days over the first three days, or two days, and then two days the other side of, of uh, the weekend. Uh, it was an endurance test, all right? By a <laughs> uh Back in those days, we all used to, wherever you played, you'd have a few beers at the pub close handy and swarm back to the old whacker, and there'd be probably... You know, 150 bush boys there drinking back at the Whacker. And, you know, that was when we first ran into Peter's Pies. You know, they were like you know, T-bone steak in those days. So, <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a wonderful thing, you know. Uh, but, you know, you can't do those things. And the country uh, country where concepts change. And I think cricket probably is a bit like a lot of sports. It's changed for the worst. Is, you know, we used to play, when I first started playing around Tamluck and Cranbrook, we used to play over two weekends, two days, and uh, uh, so even if you were a tonker as such, uh, you know, everyone else got a chance to bat and play, and now they all play one-day cricket. And, and I think that's caused, cool because most of the times, as I've been to a couple of funerals, and I went to one a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a couple of my old mates, and they said the trouble is you can't get people to play two weekends. They'll play one week, and then they don't want to be there the next. They're going off fishing or going camping or something, you know, so... Things are changed a lot in all walks of life and sometimes for the worse. We've got a lot busier uh, and I don't think we quite often slow down enough to smell the roses, you know, but I'm probably a prime example of that. Yeah. You know, I've got bloody bit as I've got older and I, I don't need to be doing it really, but uh, I love it and I just don't know when it's going to stop. I'll just, just probably stop in a hurry one day.
2: Well, I hope that's not for uh, quite a while, Stephen. And BJ just uh, told me about something before we uh, we kicked off. Um, which I'm hoping is is not true. Um, he's mentioned that you're a uh, you're part of the purple army. Um, I, I can't imagine um, a man of your ilk would be a Fremantle Dockers supporter. Can you please <laughs> can you please dispel that for uh, me, Steve?
1: Almost, Terry. I'm West Australian and I'm an avid sports lover. Uh, I don't like this booing and who and this and carrying on. It's disgraceful. <laughs> Whoever you're barrack for, you, I mean, you can say this is dirty or that you shouldn't be doing that, but. One yaps enough. Uh, but, no, look, I was always early doors. I supported Perth back in the days of Big Merv M- McIntosh, long, long time ago. The Demons. And then when Jerevich and Todd came along, uh, I took an immediate liking to them as a young fella. Two better footballers I've never seen. I don't believe there was ever a better footballer in WA than John Todd. Uh, he was something to behold. You know, We talk about all these Indigenous boys at the moment. But Todd had all the abilities of those fellows. He could kick with either port, handball with either hand and an absolute perfectionist and unfortunately he was cut down with a knee injury. So I followed uh, South through and through and still doing. As you know, one of my best friends is Noel Carter who was uh, uh, a was captain of uh, South for a long time and uh, you know, so I suppose that's why I swung onto, onto, the, onto the Fremantle banner and uh, actually JL had a couple of horses with me years ago but I think we've turned the corner. I think he's cleaned the act up a bit of the boys, and uh, from what we can see outwardly, uh, and he's a pretty clean-cut young fella. And it's good that you know he looks like he's got a set of guidelines in place that are, are pretty straight and true, you know. So hopefully, we can get a bit of success in the near future. and start to look all right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about that. So. <laughs> Sorry
2: about
1: that. One, but no, no.
0: so, Steve, um, you know, in my my opinion, hardest-working man in the in the game coming up and down the Albany Highway uh, every weekend, sometimes two or three times a week. Huge team of horses, huge uh, operation down there in in the Great Southern and to to all the success that's come your way, you've well and truly earned it. And uh, yeah, 2021, there could be a Calgary Cup. There could be a railway stakes. There could be a winner on the East Coast. Not sure about a Dockers premiership though. I'm certain there won't be one. But uh, 2021 promises to be another big one for SJ Wolf Racing, perhaps kicking off with Export Man, uh, making it three out of the last four size produce stakes for Steve Wolf Racing Stable. So good luck, Steve. Thanks for all your time regaling us with, uh, with, with all your stories. It's been great. And uh, Terry and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And you're welcome back on the 1-1 anytime.
1: Thanks, boys, and uh, if you ever run across one of the ministers for main roads or the Premier and he wants to jump in the truck and come back with me one day, uh, we may have a bit of a change of strategy on that Albany Highway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a disgrace. <laughs> so if you can get one of those folks on your podcast, have a good All right, have a good day, lads.
0: Thanks, Thanks, Steve. Loved it. Awesome. Thank you. Good luck today, Steve. Bye-bye.